Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome to Thread, Season 3, Episode 1. Thread is God's Word, tying together all the pieces of your life as a person in ministry. It's a place for believers who want to maximize the impact of their lives on other people. And in Season 3, we're moving through the book of 2 Corinthians. Today's lesson covers chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And our topic is finding our identity as a person in ministry. Well, guys, we're back. This is the first big episode of Season 3 of Thread. We are in 2 Corinthians, and I love this book. It has ministered to me throughout my 30-plus years of full-time service to the Lord. And in this book, Paul is a middle-aged man himself, and he's looking back on his life. And he asks a question we're all going to ask one day, and that is, did I live well? Did I succeed in life? And um, Paul's reflecting because his life has been about this thing called the ministry. He has given every day to this calling. And he's learned a lot about ministry to other people. He knows the glory of it, the amazing power of one life to shape another life and change the entire trajectory of that life. But he's also learned the grind of ministry. Just the stuff you have to do is not glorious, but it's part of it. And you just have to do it. And you just work your way through it. He has paid the cost of living a life of ministry, and he has also received the rewards of this kind of life. And this book is his reflection on what makes ministry work and what messes it up. And he is going to pass on a lifetime of knowledge, and I am hungry to hear what he has to say. Um, I want to say thank you for the privilege of walking with you through this important book. Uh, I love to study God's Word and teach it and work my way through the Scriptures with other people, and I want to say thank you for just investing the time to join me here on the Thread Podcast. I think Paul is a great example of a vanishing breed of minister. He's not a coldly professional clergyman. He's a shepherd, and his life is bound up with the Lord's people. And he pours out his heart with so much emotion And he's going to describe the price he has been willing to pay to build others up in the kingdom of God. And I think this book is such a great opportunity for all of us to judge the purity of our own heart and the purity of our ministry and to check our attitude toward all this. You know, Paul didn't invent the ministry. He's just following the pattern of the kind of life Jesus lived because Christ used his time and his energy every day to represent the Father to the people around him, and he poured out his life for their benefit. And Paul, as his disciple, has been following the the lifestyle of Jesus. And this has been different from his family's way. Maybe that's an early part of a ministry life, is uh, you may be in a family that honors going into the ministry very highly. Uh, I've been actually kind of amazed, even in Christian circles, at parents who did not want their children going in the ministry. Uh, So Paul has not followed the life pattern of his family or of his friends. Uh, So he, he can't judge his life. You know, if he wants to know if he's a success, he can't judge it the same way they might 
because they can say, well, here's the size of my business and here are awards I've won and here's the positions. Uh, here are the positions that I've held. And Paul can see that these things aren't the way that he measures his life. But, you know, really, as a believer, they're not a real measure of anybody's life. Paul had a great career going. He was an academic and he was a businessman. And then he met Jesus and Christ rewired his heart and he transformed his life and he gave him this entirely new outlook on what life was all about. You know, Jesus called Paul to himself to be his follower. And then he called him again to join him in his unfinished ministry in the world. And that's the beginning of a life in the ministry. If you're going to enter the ministry, you have to change your life's focus because, you know, the core problem on the earth is the self-focus of man, mankind. And so people, you know, it's all about me and how does this affect me and am I happy and what's good for my future? And ministry doesn't work like that. You have to take yourself out of the, the middle of your life focus and you have to be willing to put other people in the center of your life focus and say, I'm not here to advance my life anymore. I'm a servant of the Lord, and I'm here to advance the lives of his people. I will sacrifice my life, and I might not have any of those things that I could have if I had their role, but I feel God calling me to focus myself on them. And if that's your choice in life, I say, God bless you, and I say, God will bless you. Because I've lived that life myself for over 30 years, and he has more than made up any difference in what I would have had. You know, my dream was I was going to be an attorney. I would live somewhere in the South. Uh, I had, you know, I just had my normal human success dream. And I really think I could have done that. I don't think I would have had much trouble achieving most of that before I was even 30. But he took me out of that and he gave me a different life and it's not been anything like what I thought it was going to be, but I really have tried to give myself to it. And thank God I chose a wife who feels exactly the same. So we've never wrestled against each other about worldly success. And yet we've had all the benefits, I think of a successful business life. We've seen amazing places. We've met so many awesome people and our kids have just grown up with, such a life, and it's it's the ministry life, but it didn't come the way you'd think, you know. So, in order to focus, to, in order to enter this life, you got to focus on it, and to focus on it, you got to put others in the center of your world. And if you'll do that, you make yourself useful to God, and you're useful to man. It's a very generous way of living, and because of this, it will open up the world to you. When you live to give, I don't mean you live to earn, you live to make, you live to enjoy, and you're going to give some on the side to show you know that you're grateful. I'm not talking about that. I mean if you put giving your life away in the dead center and you begin this generous living, like I am not here for me. I am here to build big people for the Lord, and I'm here to build everybody I meet up and make them bigger and stronger than they ever were before. And they'll go on to do all kinds of stuff. And that's my whole life. But see, if you live like that, now you're in the kingdom and you're in kingdom math. And if you live like that, you will open up for yourself floodgates 
of, first of all, favor with people, uh, opportunities to get involved in things that are so amazing. You can't believe it's happening to you. You will find yourself with floodgates open for resources because your life of generosity will attract great people to you. And they'll come to you for friendship and for partnership in further ministry. And, you know, giving is the key to everything. And Jesus showed us that. And when we live a life of giving, it will open up our life to a supernatural dimension because through giving, we're walking with God. So if you want to find satisfaction in life, you actually have to die to yourself. And then you focus on building other people up and this the doors open and you find yourself in this life called the ministry. And so now we're in the book about the ministry. And Paul opens it up and the first sentence in the book goes to a crucial part of being in the ministry. And that is... Identity. You need to establish an identity for yourself. You have to settle this because the ministry is one of the most identity-confusing places in the world. Because in the world and in business and in the marketplace, you can focus on yourself and you can get your identity from symbols of greatness that you can gain because you compete against other people in society. But when you embrace a calling to empty yourself out and instead build other people up, you're going to lose your chance to play that game. Or at least I think you should quit that game and don't try to play it. And this is going to force you because you're different. You're going to be in a different kind of role than other people are. And you will immediately grapple with the need to identify yourself and to validate yourself and validate your place in society. And to be honest, it is a, I'm going to call it a career. It's a career full of contradictions uh, and, and strange expectations. You know, for example, if I engage the services of a plumber when my water line breaks, I don't ask where he went to college or the state of his marriage. I don't ask him what he's reading. I don't expect him to know about e- even other construction fields like electricity. You know, his identity is very simple. He deals with water supply and drainage problems in buildings, and that's it. And all he has to do is be competent at that job, and he succeeds in my estimation. And he can give me a bill for his ministry to me in my time of need. But ministry, especially if you minister in a church environment, oh, wow. Let's say you're a pastor. That's probably the most confusing place of all to be. You're, you're a scholar of ancient languages. You're a master communicator who has to deliver 50 unique TED Talks every year. And then you've got to be able to counsel like Dr. Phil and perform priestly duties with the grace of an archbishop. Of course, you've got to have perfect children and a beautiful extroverted wife as well. Uh, full-time ministers are some of the most identity-confused people in the world. Even uh, even in the Bible to look for your role, you know, am I supposed to be a thundering prophet? Am I a friendly chaplain, you know, harmless guy? Am I the Bible answer man? Am I the CEO? We're in love with that one because it matches the world. Am I the CEO of a religious business? Am I a stand-up performer? You know, I'm hilarious and I'm great on stage. Who am I? And what am I supposed to be? in the lives of other people? That's such an essential question. 
And we really have to answer it because our identity will shape our actions. And it will also determine the tone of our interactions with others. And to make it worse, uh, there's all these conflicts of interest in the ministry as a place of employment. Um, you know, do we consider the ministry a career with the same rights and expectations we would have in any other career? You know, ministry as a paying occupation is full of conflict of interest. It's full of abuse, uh, awkwardness regarding the subject of money. And uh, anyway, we won't get into all that right now, but, you know, perhaps we can come back and talk about that later. I'm just saying it's an easy place to be confused. Every adult needs to answer the question, who am I? It's part of every teenager's search for their adult identity. And this question is really important. It's foundational for everyone who's going to serve the Lord in any capacity, whether as a vocation or in life generally, that you answer this question. And Paul is crystal clear on it. He opens his letter by answering this question for himself and for his readers. He opens by saying, I am Paul. Pretty important. I am Paul, a man. He does not open with his title or his position. He does not say, I am the apostle, Paul. I am reverend, Paul. Pastor, Paul. Doctor, Paul. You see how we put that first? Paul didn't do that. He puts his name first. His real name, like the name his parents gave him. The name, actually, the name Jesus changed him to. I am Paul. It's my name as a man. This is really important because it says he sees himself first as a man. He has the same psychological, emotional, social needs as all other people. He is a human. He is nothing more than a human. He harbors no illusion that he's more special than other people. He does not feel entitled. He is not a king. He is a man. And this is so important. You know, when I was a kid, our our kind of churches had a habit, and I thought it was such a healthy habit. Everyone was called brother and sister. And you could be the banker, and we called you Brother Thompson. You could be a lawyer, and we introduced you as Brother Johnson. And you could be the pastor, and they still called you, you know, pastor of whatever your last name was. So it was brother or sister. You could be the overseer of all the churches in the world in our group. And if you visited a church, they were going to call you brother when they introduced you. And I loved it. You know, one, it was familial. And two, I felt the message in it. The ground is equal at the foot of the cross. Jesus did not establish a priesthood or any other sort of intermediary or superior role within his community. He actually was so at war with that practice. It's a worldly practice, and yet we drag it into the church, and it begins to confuse things right away. And so Paul has already done us a big favor in, in showing us how the earliest followers of Jesus saw themselves and referred to themselves and wanted to be referred in the body of Christ. He used his name as a man. I am a person. I'm one of these people. Uh, second thing he says about himself, because he's a man, is he's a man who's been rescued by Jesus. Because the day Paul met Jesus was the defining moment of his life. 
He is a man in Christ, and he needed to be rescued. And when Paul gets to talk about himself as a man, he will frequently go back to his story. He'll talk about his confusion, about his uh, persecution of the Christian groups, about how Jesus knocked him off his high horse and revealed himself. He tells about the rescue. He's proud of his rescue moment. I'm a man in Christ, and Jesus has covered me like a robe. And this robe has a power to change the one who wears it. Christ changed everything about Paul. And Paul wants everything he does to serve the needs of Jesus. To know who you are in Christ is so essential. And to know yourself, you know, okay, yes, first, I am a human. I am just like everybody else. I'm not entitled. I'm not more special. I'm not more holy. I don't levitate when I walk. I I am no different from these people. And I can't let them, one, I can't make them think I'm different from them. But two, I um, I can't let them refer to me as some high exalted thing. I am like them. I'm one of them. And just like them. I had to get rescued. I still have to get rescued. Jesus is the center of this story. But when you know who you are in Jesus, that changes everything. I try my very best. When my eyes wake every morning and I'm conscious that I'm in the world, I begin to tell myself who I am. You are a child. I say hi. I am a child of God. Good morning, Father. And I will recite all the beautiful, wonderful, powerful things about Jesus that I am because of him. So I am a man wrapped up in Christ. And so status is not going to define me. Jesus defines me. You know, what defines me is not my position or the size of my work or whether things are succeeding or whether I'm having a hard time and I'm, I seem to be failing. I am secure in Christ. This does not change. And this will give you a posture, and it will give you a bearing. It will give you a presence in the midst of other people who often crawl around like crabs trying to get on top of each other in this competitive world, comparing themselves among themselves. If you can really, I hope I can get to, I hope I've gotten to you before you get very long in your development because can save you so much grief if you can know who you are in Christ and know that all Christians are this, but at least you know who you are. If you will settle that and let that truly become the ground of your identity, your identity is not from your ministry. It is not from your role in the ministry or in the world. Your identity is in Christ. Man, I have seen so many people in ministry pollute their ministry because they drag a worldly mentality into it. And so we end up with these stupid rivalries and competitions among churches and ministries and leaders. It's so weird. And it's all because they do not know who they are in Christ. They have not fully believed the gospel, the gospel about themselves, because the gospel tells us who we are without Christ. And it tells us who we are apart from Christ, just as a, you know, as a human trying to achieve And then it tells us who we become in Christ. And Paul has so much more to say about the grace of Christ and the secure and exalted state that he places us in. This book, he's going to drive that home a lot. And Paul goes on to say that he's been given a specific role in God's work on earth. You know, at some point in your ministering, you need to settle on your specific role within the general calling to be a minister. And Paul is very certain about this. 
God has spoken to him to make ministering to others his primary occupation in life. He's also clear that his specific role in that work is to be an apostle. It means someone appointed and sent out to officially represent someone that's big. So today we might say ambassador. Paul embraces his role to be a public ambassador of Jesus Christ. He's going to take the knowledge of Jesus to places where he is not known. And he is going to represent Jesus every day in his interaction with other people. Now, this calling to be the ambassador of Jesus tells Paul what to do with his time and energy. It sets the pattern of his life. It tells him about his style and purpose when he engages other people. And it also holds him to a very high standard personally because Paul loves his role in the Lord's work. And he is very careful how he lives because of it. He never wants to bring disgrace on the Lord's movement. He doesn't want to become a stumbling block to other people because of some glaring inconsistencies in his own life. He is the Lord's ambassador. But he's telling us another thing by identifying himself that way. He's saying, I am an apostle, not of the church. I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. This role to be an apostle, you know, that's God's will for Paul's life. And he's embraced it with everything. But he's crystal clear about this. He does not work for the church. He represents Jesus. And he'll do that with or without a paycheck from a church. But he can give his attention to this vital work, you know, in a much better way if he can be liberated from the need to also hold an outside job. So, you know, he understands that. The money is not what makes him a minister, and he's not the employee of the church. He doesn't represent his Paul's Worldwide Ministry Incorporated. He's not the face of Paul's Worldwide Ministry brand. He's the ambassador of Jesus Christ, and he does it every place his foot touches the ground. And to every human that he establishes eye contact with, he is there to be another set of hands for Jesus, the eyes of Jesus, the lips of Jesus, the feet of Jesus Christ on earth. So right off the bat, in this first sentence of this book, we've covered a lot of ground that will help us define who we are as ministers. You know, number one, we are mere mortals. We are flawed in every human way, but we're also humans created by God himself. You know, we have amazing gifts. We've been built by God to enjoy life on earth. We're the whole package. We're called to enjoy and fully express our humanity and to bring the human gospel to the other humans that we meet. We are mortals. Number two, we are new creations in Jesus Christ. We are transformed by his blood, filled with the same Holy Spirit, We're recreated to live in union with him. We're secure in him. We have our identity in him. And that will stabilize us while other people scratch and claw for an identity of their own making. Number three, we've been called and equipped to play a specific role for him on earth. You know, not many of us are official apostles, probably something like a frontier missionary or maybe even a church planner today. But we do have some kind of specific role to play. The good news is, whatever it is, we were designed to do it from birth, and we will be most happy when we find it and when we stick to it. So we're humans first, disciples second, brothers and sisters of Jesus. Third, we're people with individual roles assigned by God so we can join him in his work on earth. That's a lot. And that's all for now. 
So if you're enjoying Thread, how about sharing the podcast with your friends? Just use the buttons in the player on your screen. Let's see if we can get a lot of people to join us on this journey so we can create a community and we can discuss these things online with each other. Um, In the interim, between our seasons of two and three in Thread, we've been working on lots of free resources. So please check out MediaLightOnline.com. MediaLight, L-I-G-H-T, online.com, and you'll find online courses that we've been developing to help you find God's will, grow personally, grow as uh, spiritually, grow as a leader, and we're also going to help you improve your communication skills 10x. So we're here for you. We're going to do our very best to help you grow. This week, expect God to use you because you are the light of the world. See you next time on Thread.